We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, welcome to True Faith Weekly Podcasts, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis. New music this week because we're trying something different, straight in. And special announcements, we'll have a new permanent member joining us, Andrew Bolland. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Yep, you're now a permanent member of True Faith Weekly Podcast. And because of that honour, I have a quick-fire Q&A. It's one of those things where I want you to answer without thinking. So no, no pause. So just so the listeners can get know you because obviously they've heard all our crack. They know we're head file. They know like loads of stuff, right? Andrew Bolland, Newcastle Q and A. Where do you sit in the ground? Leeser's corner. Quicker. Yeah, I'm in the, <laughs> the good, the good stuff. <laughs> I used to sit in corner. <laughs> You're in the Gallagher's. Yeah. How long have you been going to the match? Uh, about fifteen years. Fifteen. Yeah. Okay. What was your first match? Um, Man United lost two 0 and Luke made his debut. What was your first match? Oh, that's the first one with my season ticket. My first match, I think I played, we played Man City at home in like 93 or something. Okay, I was going to say what we were doing. That, that wasn't 15 years ago. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, what's the best match you've ever been to? Uh, well, the 4 all when Tioti scores a screamer. Um, I don't think I've ever been more excited than when he scored that goal. <laughs> Worst match ever? Well, uh, Markham's 3 no. Any one of them. <laughs> and your favourite away game? Oh, uh, Bruges away in the Europa League. Fair enough. probably the best. Bolland sits right next to me, by the way. I'm disappointed to say that. <laughs> next to me. Don't you forget where I sit. Very quick fire as well. Use, use, use all with the blue, with the horn yeah. and the wig. Yeah, yeah. I was quite bothered about it on Twitter, didn't we? I think uh, a friend of the show, Mark Corby on UFC 1980-94, said, can you ram it up his arse? <laughs> with no lube. It would be awkward around. <laughs> <laughs> it would be less, it would be more enjoyable for me than having to watch that than listen to his fucking horn. <laughs> it's such a ludicrous call from him, but you know. He's a funny bloke, you know, he, get, he gets a bit of stick from people, but... I wonder like, why. <laughs> it is frustrating and annoying, but... I don't mind the wig, I don't mind the zaniness, it's the horn. Yeah. I was watching the... He the probably f- loves Newcastle, I really loves Newcastle. I saw him... Um, I hadn't been sitting next to him long when we got to Bruges and I found him, you know, at the massive, you didn't come back to no, the massive no. walk to the ground. Yeah. I found him just walking the opposite way <laughs> from the ground on his own. Unbelievably more. <laughs> <laughs> didn't recognise it at the time. I was just like, mate, oh, it's, it's this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Bollins. Uh, follow us on Twitter at TF Weekly Pod. You can follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and if you really fancy an iTunes, leave us a review. Hopefully a nice one. Um, have we got any reviews? We'll have four. All oh, five right. stars, they're really nice. Very, very pleasing. Oh, that's great. Thanks to whoever wrote those reviews. 
We don't deserve them. You're welcome, Dugger. Right, Mickey, you're going to start. I'm going to pass the microphone over to you. Newcastle have been beaten disastrously at Watford 2-1. And you would like to talk about Steve McLaren's tactical setup. I would, yeah. Um, it, was a, it was a terrible result, especially considering Swansea won at Everton. Yeah. You can't see that coming. Um, what I just couldn't really understand... I watched the game when I was at work, but I was at work on my own, so it was like I was in and out sort of... I just can't comprehend why he's changed the system after the last two games against Man United and against um, was it West Ham? West Ham, but not counting the cup. This is we were solid. We were really solid. Looked like we were playing the system well, and then he's changed it for for seemingly to me no reason. I want to, uh, nobody seems to agree with us on this, so I want to ask. Uh, listeners if they can get in touch and let us know if they agree with me about this or not my point about it is is we've been playing Paul Dummett who we've talked about loads of times on this podcast left back all season he's not a left back nobody thinks he's a left back Steve McLaren knows deep down that Paul Dummett is not a left back he can't beat a man he can't pass he can't cross he doesn't contribute anything whatsoever to attack so how different honestly could that be to playing Lascelles at left back or Owen Bember and sticking with everywhere else on the pitch being the same as it was and going well for two weeks it's it's just absolutely baffling and it's cost us a game well I'll give you two, two alleged reasons number one because he didn't have a left back he didn't like you say your first point you kind of covered that but that's what people would say number two he did the same thing in the FA Cup he tried to counter Dini and Nagolo up front by playing three centre backs it's just not. It's just not the right move, is it? It's not we, the we, right move. We talked about it on the radio show on Friday, saying when you've had a result like you did against West Ham, where everyone was flying, you want to try and make as few changes as possible. Yeah. So the the obvious change was sticking Bember out on the left, just because he's he's played right back, so he's played wing back before. He, he'll probably be he's, he's quicker, and he'll be probably better than Lascelles would be, who looks just a tall, sort of strong lad, but he's probably not the quickest and and would have got found out a bit more at left-back. So stick him in centre-back with Colaccini and put Mbemba on the left, and then you can still play the 4-2-3 the four, four, or whatever. Yeah, formation. formation that we've talked about here all season, but actually it's seemingly started to work. Right, with Mialdon playing at number 10, yeah. it works. Well, yeah, I would say it's been more of a 4-4-1-1 four, four, one, one yeah. recently than a 4-2-3-1. Which, so that's, by the way, is exactly what Watford played. They play with Dini behind the Garlo, so... So the need to have three centre backs as well is <laughs> baffling. Yeah, absolutely baffling. So all over the pitch, it showed uh, to me at least it showed that that was wrong. The, the centre halves didn't know where they were supposed to be. Didn't know what they were doing. They were getting in each other's way. Jan Mas and Sissoko is our, basically our only real attacking threat this season. Completely negated because Sissoko's took an inside. Jan Mas playing wing back, which anyone that's played in a three-five-two, particularly a wing back, will know. Is, is the hardest position you can play in football. You've got to be up and down the, the entire side of the pitch all game. Aaron's has been has played what like twenty five minutes in the last two years. He has to come in and start away from home a wing back. That like like I say the hardest. It's just it's insane. It's absolutely insane. Centre midfield was was also completely negated. Shelby had a terrible game. By the way, not going to speak too much about it, but he couldn't pass. Um, but he looked just lost. Saive I think looks a bit like a donkey but the two of them hmm. it was obvious they didn't know where they were supposed to be playing in that formation I just I just can't understand what he's done and I I don't think anybody that I know would have made the same decision playing 3-5-2 so 
So that's my question for the listeners: is why has he done it, and would he have done the same? Um, just, I was going to say, just come back on you quickly on that. Just apparently, um, the cup game played the same formation, and they reckoned it worked quite well. Had Genie not gifted them a goal, so that's probably swayed him. But I completely agree with you. Like we did, we shouldn't have changed the formation that had worked so well the week before. It just completely kills any momentum and sort of confidence we had in that team Which by, desperately by changing it. changing everything when it didn't need to be done. Yeah, Ashley uh, Wormall, who's a, a listener of the show, our coach Wormall, um, said that he heard that Ben were refused to play left back. Really? Yeah, don't have any sources from Ashley, so if you want to let one know that, but he says refuse to play it. I mean, what what pissed me off was earlier in the season, Manny down at the way, he played... Uh, yeah, Matt was sent off the week before against Swansea, so he played Mbemba right back, who had an excellent game. Yeah. I would have just played Mbemba right back again. He took me four, played Yamat at left back. Mm-hmm. He's a full-back. On the wrong side, but he's a full-back, and we could have cracked on. But, yeah, make you, I think you made some excellent points. Ben, I know you want to talk about McLaren's poor decision-making regarding team selection subs and just his general attitude towards certain players in the Newcastle squad. It's just mental. I don't know how your good friend still still gets time on the pitch. You say that Aaron's, you say that Aaron's has played absolutely hardly the last I think couple that was of years. first start in 17 months. Yeah, it's just ridiculous that he's played so little football. McKay's been injured a lot of the time, so that'll... Explain it, but how Johan Gufran still gets a game. I mean, I, I've completely forgot. We've still got Marvu in the squad. He's on the bench. Um, who who kind of kind of get in ahead of Gufran? I know he probably not. Well, he'd play the defensive holder mid role that Gufran's been trying to play as well as Gufran could. Yeah. But it's just he's, by the way, where was Korbach? Was Korbach yeah, on the bench? He was injured. Yeah, no, he was injured. Because well, you would have thought you would have put him left back on McLaren. But it's just. He keeps giving time for these players that have got no future at the club. They bring nothing to the table, and he's just persistent with them. And I know you need players need rest and whatnot, and the, the you need players to contribute. But just you're flogging a dead horse with Gufran. Nobody likes him. He's <laughs> shit every time he comes on the pitch. Nobody just, likes you, Johan. Yeah, just the dirt. And it's just I can't believe that he's still getting games. He's he played seven seven times this season in the Premiership. Like how I, don't, I just don't understand, and none of those positions in his normal in his um, normal spot, none of those appearances. Sorry, um, it's quite remarkable, isn't it? Really, that he's gone from being a, a terrible, striker, a terrible striker that that we played on the wing, and then he just fell out of favour, rightly so, because he's shit at football <laughs> and every attribute towards football. And then out of nowhere, he just started coming on and centre midfield, the most important position <laughs> on the pitch. What the fuck? Got the genius John. To thank for that one, John uh, Power. Yeah, some of the way. That was a but that, that's the folly of it. What's McLaren doing? Like, persistent with that? It's just mental. It's crazy. And then the, the other thing, he just constantly he loves to play players out of position. Yeah. So you've, you've already mentioned Aaron's there. Like, he's never been a left wing back. Like, what, what, is it, what are you expecting from him? Like, how oh, yeah, it's professional. This is meant to be the most competitive league in the world. And you're playing. A, what, what is he 19 now or something hasn't he's 20 now yeah 20 hasn't played a lot of football and you ask him to go and fucking <laughs> do a job that he has he no just, idea yeah. how to do and as you say like Shelby and Saive who are well not much Saive but Shelby is a an established Premier League player if he doesn't know what he's doing then what fucking chances Rolando Aaron's 
got to do playing in a different, completely different position. Yeah. Not just a different role within a team as Shelby was. And it's just the and the persist with these ridiculous decisions. Perez keeps getting pushed out on the left. He, now he did okay against West Ham, but he's he's half the half he the did play. Right when he came central. Yeah. <laughs> Not actually on the left wing. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? He's just consistently putting players out of position. Obviously, Dummett's the the obvious one that we always have a go at it about. He's, he's a centre back playing left back. He's playing Rob Elliott in goal. <laughs> yeah. That was still me gag. But um, it's just it just does me head in that he's he's. He's not giving players a chance to go out there and um, sort of <laughs> have a chance of doing well, and they're just that 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 team selection there just absolutely mullered any sort of good good feeling that we had around the club. Um, I think West Ham, just touching on what you're saying about them playing players out the wrong position, it's because of years and years and years of Newcastle not buying a squad, just buying yeah. players who are out of contract. Yeah. Um, left back is the best example. You know, just we picked up Haidar on the cheap. The guys played like what? Maybe fifteen games for us. Um, we, do, we don't have good players in places like the left wing as well. Sticking Perez out there, or mm. I don't know where else you'd play him on the pitch at the moment. It's it's just ridiculous. You should, we should have Perez and be like, right, Perez is a number ten or yeah. a striker or a striker. Or a striker. You can't get in the team in his own position. He shouldn't be in the team. Yeah, yeah. We should have a left winger. The return of Aaron's is very much appreciated. I was thinking he's playing Aaron's. Let let him let him go. Let him just say, listen. Yeah, don't worry about what's behind you. You just like kind of credit Pardew Aaron's under Pardew didn't really do any defensive work compared you know when basically Pardew at the start of that season played Goufran or Aaron's and the, the you know if you look at the average position of the two Goufrans would be standing behind Paul Dummett <laughs> and Aaron's would be the furthest player on the pitch and <laughs> that's what's needed and I'm, I'm just a bit gutted for the lad that he's come back in he'll probably not get picked at Everton um, and yeah just very very poor you know, he won't unless we play that stupid formation again, which if isn't plays that formation, we're not good. No, I'm not, I'm, we'll not just not go in the ground if we get near <laughs> and that's a formation, we'll just come back. Yeah, we'll be doing the next podcast on the way back from Everton because we're, we're driving down. Yeah, I quite, I quite like Aaron's as well, but I, I definitely wouldn't have played him at all, even if we played the same formation. I think for a team that's struggling, well, a striker who's struggling to score goals to take away one of the other guys on the pitch who's actually contributing, it was basically just Wijnaldum on the pitch who we're hoping might nick us a goal. Um, so I just thought it was a ridiculous decision not to play Perez even if he isn't as good on the left he hasn't been very good for weeks so he's scored against West Ham this is the thing it's, but like we said he scored against West Ham when he came inside actually on the left wing it's all, again I don't want to meddle with formations too much but I've, I've been saying for a while especially under Carver and especially under McLaren the season when we're playing sticking with his rigid 4-2-3-1 why don't you play a 4-3-2-1 if you're going to play with no width by having Perez and Sosoka, Sosoka's quite good at width. But anyway, if you're going to play with no width by playing Perez, why not play three holding midfielders? Like even now, if you played Sosoko, Shelby, and Colback, we play a high defensive line. That's like that's three midfielders who can keep the ball, play well, and then play Perez and Wijnaldum behind the striker. Yeah, it's, it's an attacking formation. But I'm going to talk in detail about Newcastle's away for one part two over the past few years. Would have all you know? You'd rather see Newcastle this season score more than six goals away from home. So I agree with what you're saying, but I think there there is ways to get them both in the team. But he's he's obviously terrified of that. So Mickey, I believe you would like to talk about Steve McLaren's post-match comments. Yeah, it's more just uh, more the interpretation of what he said by the fans. Really, um, I don't want to be one of these typical like keyboard warriors you see, particularly on the True Faith Facebook group, <laughs> kicking off about every word he says. But for I I don't understand what game he was watching at the weekend because he thinks we played well. 
and he thinks that that kind of performance is going to keep us in the league but it's not we were, we were shit didn't really create any chances we've been beaten by a poor Watford side three apparently, times uh, three times apparently they haven't won in 11 no no that's not true is it not that's no uh, they last won six games ago yeah, yeah. I was going to say um, and the Beatles as well since then they've still been poor though, haven't they I've been in the league oh yeah they're, um, they're. still been very poor we were totally outclassed we, I, I just there was, for me there's nothing positive to take out of that game to come out and say that, that that's the kind of performance that's going to keep us in the league is it's just it's so counterintuitive it's just going to get people that people that are listening on his back because it's wrong it's blatantly wrong it's just it's a it's a barefaced lie that's pointless and achieves absolutely nothing but piss people off like me I'm sick of hearing this shite from McLaren he's he's cracked like after every game like oh yeah play like that we'll we'll be alright well we've been playing like that all season mate and where are we we're not alright and it's not going to be alright if if that's the kind of shit we're going to keep serving up every week it needs needs to stop and McLaren needs to stop with it as well if he just if he came out in the press afterwards and said we're nowhere near good enough (laughs) we're nowhere near good enough and it needs to improve next week maybe just maybe the players might hear it and be like fucking hell he's right like we're shit do you want to talk through that for the listeners uh, yeah uh, a list of stats here don't know where they've come from it's come from rival podcast by the Menendez NF- anyway yeah. see so cheers lads uh, for the thanks. Yeah. <laughs> content providers for us we've lost against the following teams Watford who hadn't won in five West Brom hadn't won in five Everton hadn't won in four Palace hadn't won in four and Sunderland hadn't won in 12. All of those teams ended those wins against Newcastle. Soft touch, as the lads at the by the minute, and you have seen says. That's just goes with the centre phrases where the easiest team to play in the league. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's proof. To be fair, it does seem like it's starting to change a little bit. Like, after we got the well, goal, it did, didn't it? We, ra- we rallied, and we actually finished okay. So, I think that's one positive thing. I'm clutching this, this, sounds, like, like, this, this sounds like, like an apologist. Um, <laughs> And I suppose what you've got to remember is that the Gallo's goal was offside, so... Yeah. Uh, it's touching goal. It's, it's the third time this season we've played Watford and they've been one-on-one with the keeper. It's just like, lads, push up. No one's actually... Even though he's offside, no one's pushed up. When Deeney has the ball with one player in front of him, it's quite simple. Simple defending. As soon as the ball touches his feet, take a step forward. or two. Or, or, that's just basic defending at, at, a, at a schoolboy level to press... And it's the fact that it's th- it's Rob Elliott once again. Together. Rob Elliott played well. He made good saves, but he cannot he, he cannot do anything positive off of his line. I criticised him last week against West Ham for being ludicrously slow. He could, he did the same thing in the cup game against Dini. He comes out and then he stops. Like what? Just come out and run at him. And cl- it's all about closing the angle, Rob. Like not only do you not manage to close the angle, you manage to leave enough space each time for the from the round. And it's not Rob Elliott's fault. We conceded the goal. Second goal it was that he should have caught the ball and he punched it. It's a fast goal goal to concede. Yeah. It wasn't really Rob Elliott's fault for me. I'm, I'm I'm not saying it was his fault, but I'm I'm having him at fault <laughs> along with six or seven others. And yeah, definitely. At a, at a minimum. I mean, Umbemba for the second one. Just I mean, he's got no one behind him, but he's got to try and stop that cross. And again, he's not a fullback. And that was Danny Simpson esque. Just let him, let the centre backs deal with it. Mike, hello, Mike Green. Hello, how's it going? It's going well. It's I'm pleased you've joined us. Uh, you, I don't know if you heard our chat with Mike from the Watford podcast. Mike Rugree from uh, Watford podcast on Friday but you're also called Mike and also from London so you may as well be the same person um, 
That's I, terrible. I, no, my, my rugby was absolutely fantastic uh, on... Good save. On Friday. So, Mike, what would you like to say about Watford <laughs> and, the, and, the, and their win over Newcastle at the weekend? Um, well, I, I think it pretty much means that they're, they're definitely safe, aren't they? There's no, no, uh, no relegation worries for them, certainly given the teams you included below them. Well, I think, actually, if, if we look back to our... Uh, our much vaunted prediction show at the beginning of the season um, when I think we the majority of us probably uh, Mike don't, don't, don't you dare what? yeah I know I know I've given Dodsey a massive chance to blow his own trumpet but we'll, we'll see if he's got more class than that but um, I think it kind of highlights really how how much still we, we look at teams and just look at individual players and still still rank that over uh, over being a solid team if you look at Watford and you look at the end of this season, how many players are likely to go, their star players, probably looking at Agarlo, people will be stepping around. Not too many of the other players that you, that you can see teams try to pick up. Yeah, even Dini. On an individual basis. But I think it's really that that, that, that strong team ethic. It just, as you say, that organisation, you talk about Newcastle getting caught out again by the, the same time, that, that one-on-one just basic defending, not pushing up. Watford, they're just well-drilled, and it, it's... Um, they're, they're a perfect example, really, of, of how to, to manage saying If you look at them last season, they were top scorers in the championship, um, and they've completely changed the game around and, and, and been a lot tighter, um, and, and obviously been a completely different squad this year. So we touched on it before, but um, given, given what a different squad and different managers every season or, or, or throughout the season, they, they, they've somehow managed to, to create this consistency of performance and a, and a culture around the club that, that they're just solid and, and do their job as well, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they approach next season. But I think, yeah, there's no danger of them going down, and they can they can start planning things for next season. I think you're absolutely right, Mike. Uh, nobody really does give actual good teams enough credit anymore. Um, we, apart from Dodds and Bears, too, are all are all guilty of that. About at the start of this season, we just completely wrote them off. Um, and the same thing can sort of be said about Leicester as well. I don't know they've got Mares and Vardy who've led the charge for them, but they're a solid, solid team that's playing well as a team and getting points off the back of it. And that's that's what I would say about Newcastle and the Robson as well. When we were right at the top of the league individually, comparing us to Man United, Arsenal, we weren't as good. A player for player, we weren't as good. Would, would Gary Speed have got on their teams? Absolutely not. Would Nikos Davizas have been picked in Arsenal's? The defensive in particular yeah. would be nowhere near. Um, and it's nice, to see, it's nice to see a team doing well without relying on individual purchases and individual players. One um, thing I'd say credit to them as well, they've brought in 15 new players over the summer. 15 new players when you've got people saying, well, the Newcastle board deserve credit for bringing in, what, like, four? Yeah. <laughs> if that, Watford brought in 15 new players and have managed to, to get them to gel. So yeah, it's true, right? Spot on. And I totally size for it as well. Because there's exactly. too, too many. But they're, they're, this part of the seem to know what they're doing. So I mean, one point, Mike, uh, the um, Watford fan said on Friday was though that they the, kept the core of the team that had come up. So Igalo, Dini were obviously there in the championship team. Um, Gomez, I think, was the keeper. Gomez, um, who's been brilliant. <laughs> should, um, should have saved Lascelles, but like, yeah. he has been good. But he, he basically said that the sort of six, six sort of main core players there have been retained from the previous season and I, I think it just you, you look at the teams that are doing well and that sort of spine and people keep going about Newcastle need a, a spine of English players it was something Rob Lee sort of called out 
um, they've they've managed to sort of maintain that and just put a bit of quality around that, and that seems to be the way to go. Yeah, well, I think that just about does it for part one on the match. Part two, uh, I'm going to do an in-depth analysis of Steve McLaren and Newcastle United's away form, and Bollins is going to come into his own on his full-time their debut and talk about, amongst other things, Newcastle United's terrible squad of players uh, and former heroes in some people's minds, Steve Harper and Kevin Nolan. Welcome to part two of True Faith Weekly Podcast. This is the part of the show where I'm going to go through, as promised, Newcastle's disastrous away form because the stats are striking and I don't think people kind of a lot of people do think we'll get relegated, but the stuff I'm going to go through now quite simply points to relegation. So, Newcastle have currently scored six goals away from home. Uh, that is the worst in the top seven leagues of English football. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about any lower than that because I couldn't check <laughs> any further on the BBC website. So, I mean, the, t- teams below us have played more games in their league. So, like the Championship, I think, is on 28 games now. But it doesn't matter. So here's who we share that um, accolade with in the Football League. The lowest scorers in the Championship are Charlton with seven. The lowest scorers in League One are Fleetwood with 11. And the lowest scorers in League Two are Yeovil with eight. What uh, do all those teams have in common, lads? Shite. They're all shite, true. All in the relegation zone. All in the relegation zone, true. Anything else you think these teams might have done to try and counteract this disastrous... They've not signed anyone. Not changed their managers. They've all changed their managers. So Newcastle are currently the only team in the football league to be the lowest scorers in their division away from home and not change their manager. The other two lowest scoring teams in the Premier League are Villa and Sunderland. What have those teams both done this season? Change their manager. Change their manager. How many have Villa scored? Villa have scored eight away from home, oh, and the Magnums have scored Villa. eleven. To disc- it's an absolute disgrace. I'm going to I'm going to give you some more stats now. So it really is. Maintain, you know, hold back your anger. Okay, Newcastle have picked up 20 points in their last 30 away games, uh, scoring 18 goals and conceding 59. <laughs> um, <laughs> since February last year, we've picked up 10 points from 18 away, uh, 18 away games and scored eight goals in the last 18 away games. Eight goals. This is two of those came at Spurs as well. Yeah, this isn't relegation form. This is like, this is like end of days form away from home. Like it doesn't just see you relegated. It's like Villa at the moment. It's that bad. Like you, how Newcastle as a club, I'm going to get to a main point. How Newcastle as a club think this is sustainable? How they haven't said someone above Steve McLaren or someone on the analyst panel or something to say like right lads, you actually might have to play two up front away from home because we can't go on like this. Eight goals in the last 18 away from home. And like you said, two of them win one game against Tottenham Hotspur. Hotspur. <laughs> um, like, me, the issue is, it's nothing new. Um, the, the away from under Carver, if you take away... I know it's, it's easy to say. If you take away the whole game, which I think was his first league away game, if you take that out when he wasn't full-time manager at that point, he was still caretaker. Um, everyone, like everyone in the city was buoyed by the fact that we didn't have Pardew yeah, we scored two goals in nine away games under Carver, one of which was Riviere's ridiculous fluke <laughs> at QPR. Wait, so you have his own first. Yeah. yeah. So you think yourself, you Newcastle United, you're appointing a new manager, right? One of the things that this new manager has to be able to do is 
sort out the away form because our home form is actually season on season, even though it's still shite. It, you know, our home form and the home league table is constantly a few five or six places higher than the actual league position in which we end up. So you're thinking, right, if we can just sort this away form out, we'll be all right. So they appointed, they appointed a man whose uh, top-level record in England away from home reads as follows. In his first season in Middlesbrough, in 19 away games, they scored 12 goals. In his second season at Middlesbrough in the Premier League, they scored 12 goals again. In 19 away games Consistent In his third season They scored 19 goals Which by the way Is still The third worst In the league at the time <laughs> The following two seasons Slightly better 23 and 19 And 20 and 19 At no point In his whole time In Middlesbrough Did he get better Than 8th bottom In the league For goals scored Away from home His record His away record With England Was an absolute farce They managed to score A solitary goal for Russia away Israel away And Croatia away I did a bit of research and went back and if you just type in Steve McLaren England away record you get a lot of articles and opinion pieces from 2007 saying England's away record is a disaster under McLaren he can't keep going on like this before played Russia away would draw with Israel nil nil and Israel got done off Croatia got done off Croatia and people were like it's it's his home fans because before the loss to um, Croatia at home the home form was fine they were like he can't he can't manage this team away from home guess what everyone was saying he sets up too negatively, and you heard. And this is this is where it got me looking at the Middlesbrough stuff because there was journalists pointing out that as time at Middlesbrough proved, he cannot set up teams away from home at the highest level. Um, he scored nine goals in five away games, but considering in that group was Andorra, Macedonia. Um, he should be scoring ten goals at uh, being serious. To he put it, scored four at Andorra. Yeah, well, four, not more than that. Um, again at Wolfsburg Six. his away form was terrible obviously left him in, a rele- in the relegation zone I'm not going to include 20 because A it suits me argument and B um, it's not a real league like you we can't you can't so, so my, my point is the point I want to make and what worries me is do you reckon Lee Charlie knows how bad Newcastle's away form was no was? because he's, a, he's an idiot he's not a football person he, he was the fucking kit man for the reserves it's ridiculous that Lee Charney has a job that he does. He, he doesn't understand clearly what needs to be done at a, at a board level for a football club to be successful because he's not done it one single time. Because this is what I think. If I, I would think if I'm an analytical person, and I am because I run a business and you have to be, so I'm constantly looking at like financial figures, stats, you know, booking reports, how many jobs that we're doing in the taxi industry. And I just think Lee, Lee Chong and Graham Carr, who's up in Graham Carr, pick, hand-picked his, his best mate, Steve McLaren, for the job because he's mates with them. Um, they've thought themselves <laughs> right. Mate, if, if you look at Newcastle's <laughs> away record in the past five years in the Pardew, and even before that, Newcastle just struggle away from home. It's just something that we're doing. Leicester this season have won have won seven and lost one of their ten away games. Like, even when Newcastle were class... <laughs> In the nineties, we never had a consistent away yeah. record like that. So, so they've got to think themselves like we need a manager who can sort out Newcastle United's problem away from home. And I don't think they've even looked into it. What's even more worrying is if you if you look everything I've just said here, it does not point to anything getting any better. How are Newcastle United going to win an away game under Steve McLaren? It just all the stats, everything he's done, mental formations, playing too defensively. I just can't see Newcastle picking up enough points away from home uh, to justify anything like this. And then when you look at teams that tend to get relegated, obviously it's no surprise to say the teams that do worse away from home tend to get relegated. But I, I, if you ignore the the points, 
it's the teams that score not concede the least away from home it's teams that just cannot score away from home can't pick up points and, and therefore it's a trait that runs throughout the you know there's very few teams knock them in at home constantly and then or go you know go away from home can't score and can't stop scoring for fun at home it's, it's not that simple but six goals uh, from the players from Wijnaldum Perez Mitrovic Soko your centre backs the, the, the whole the whole team like it's just absolutely totally unacceptable and on that basis alone so far he should resign but he'll not I agree our centre backs haven't scored this season apart from ourselves yeah well Coltini's scored it's a good smile ignore that though Lillian hasn't scored has he bastard Ben, did you want to talk before coming up on a little bit on the board? Was it you were saying? You it was were just so the point. I mean, we're, we're talking about how weak the squad is and everything, and <laughs> you would have thought the whole point of McLaren being named to the board would have been so he was more involved in in everything going on at the club, um, and in particular the transfers. And it's just scandalous that he's has allowed them to get at this point in the transfer window. We've got what just over a week left. Um, and they've still not addressed two of the most glaring issues and we've, we've just talked about it they'll they'll justify oh we've got Colback that can fill in left back we've got Gufran that can fill in left back it's just but it's just bullshit like we need a, we haven't got a, a, a decent sort of competent premiership level left back in the league and just you could look at any other team down the in, in the division they just wouldn't like be found short in, in this position not, not without one that's decent in the entire exactly. there's no one else who could do that I think that brings us that's quite nicely years as well on the balance and you want to talk about the balance and overall makeup of Newcastle squad or more, more specifically the problems well yeah just what you've been saying basically I think the best position that highlights it is right back we've not had two right backs at the club in I can't remember how long you think when from Simpson there was a slight overlap with Debushi, but then it was just Debushi. now it's yeah. just Janmat and it just seems like and no God, one. They've all been fairly like fit. Yeah. <laughs> like no one at the club seems to be thinking like, right, we need to build a squad for thirty-eight games. They just sort of, it appears to be, oh, he's out of contract. We can probably pick him up and sell him. Um, for example, why don't we have two right backs at the club? Like left back is a problem because Haidar is always injured. But centre halves, we've been found short to centre half in the last three years. A few times we've ended up playing like James Perch at centre half, who's obviously not a centre half. Uh, same with the midfield although they've sort of rectified it and even now the striker we've literally got Mitrovic and I'm not counting Riviere because the, the bloke's done nothing for us doesn't um, count it's just having it's just that pains doggy doesn't <laughs> count <laughs> um, it's, just, it's just an absolute shambles that like at the start of the season they've not looked at it McLaren's obviously not written down his squad and just really obviously gone like what ha- what happens if Janmark gets injured for the rest of the season like what, what, what would we have done and Bemba's not really a right back like it just it just seems like absolute just madness the way um, that they've built this just collection of players it's not a squad it's it's quite funny that they let Santon go who was the, the backup right back as well as the starting left yeah. back great player to have in the squad who was a cracking like a versatile player who like could have probably filled in at left wing if we needed to um, and they <laughs> the just let and John like, Carver said Paul Dummett was a better left back than Darius Sanchez in the most recent Italian squad it's just mental that, like, and a versatile player like that is a valuable commodity when you've got a small squad so why you would chase him out of the club is just mental it's, but that is John Carver it's all, all over the pitch as well because you look our best left winger and our best right wingers have been Perez, Wijnaldum and Sissoko who are, none of them are really actually not wingers, wingers. <laughs> Sissoko does a really good job on the right but 
None of them are wingers. Like, I think Aaron's is probably the only like out and out winger. Aaron's Tovan. Obertan. Oh yeah, Tovan. Obertan, but it always injured. Even though I, I think he's a mess, Obertan. But um, yeah, totally agree, Bonds. You want to move on to talk about former players now and what they're up to these days. <laughs> Well, is I just a new segment. Catching up world friends <laughs> with Andy Collins. <laughs> I'm more than happy to do that. Um, I just think the reaction to Steve Harper signing for Sunderland this weekend has been so unbelievably over the top on both sides. The people criticising him for going there are absolutely mental. This is a 40 year old bloke who rarely, rarely played for Newcastle barring one season. And the people defending him, saying he's like he's like a Newcastle legend, he's a hero. Like I think he played something like 170 games. I was going to just say, repeat the same point. Yeah, like he played a handful of games for Newcastle. Yeah, 100, 170 games for Newcastle. Sat on the bench for 20 years. Like eight games a season across his career, I think it was. It's just average. it's just absolute madness that people have got so so worked up. It's probably a bit of shit. I've got so worked up about people getting worked up about. How people got worked up. Well, well, the blokes had to deactivate. Yeah, th- this is the cargo <laughs> because there's a lot of journalists and people tweeting out saying it's an absolute scandal that a great man, a family man, a man who's done everything for the region has had to delete his Twitter account because of abuse. But my understanding when I first saw the news is that he immediately deleted his Twitter account. He did to avoid... In case he got yeah. abuse. So I don't know if there was... I don't know if there was a reaction. You should so still be able to see it if you search for at whatever it was at Steve Hart or something. It'll still come up, but it'll be black instead of blue. Huh. I think as well with Steve Harper as well. Have you, has anyone seen his interview with SAFC? No. It's basically like <laughs> didn't this, didn't tune in for he's, that one. He's sorry, played, that one. He's, well, it's been on it's been on Sky and things. He's, uh, there will he's, be listening, so maybe they can send away a clip. <laughs> yeah. He's basically uh, he's basically acting like this is some sort of homecoming for him. Is it? Yeah, he's more or less said, you know, he's had this like great career, but he just bypassed going to what's essentially his hometown club. Um, I'm a CM lad and all this sort of thing. Aww. So, it's no need to say that. Steve. No, it's just what it's, an absolute yeah. disgrace. Let me get onto that. <laughs> oh, no, where is Holtis? So, um, <laughs> wants to finish recording. Yeah, <laughs> uh, only joking, Sunderland FC as well. <laughs> you're listening. Um, and also the reaction from the Sunderland fans has been somewhat comical as well like it, it's a book that's probably never going to play a game for it, football it's team. worth mentioning Bob, that you have an inside track I do unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately he works in Sunderland I didn't even know that Bill Rhodes there so I don't know well uh, they're hardly, hardly, <laughs> hardly Rhodes um, they've just got a Primark in the last year which they're absolutely buzzing about good um, I don't think it's a bad move on their part they've got someone that can cover if they're desperate and you need him in goal but they're number one now how old is he like 21 or something Young lad, they've put Pickford, in. Pickford, so, yeah. He's under 21. So, Hartwell will be a good role model for someone like him. I know he's not played that much, but he's, he's a 40 year old keeper that's been he'll on show the him, He'll show him all the ropes of the bench. <laughs> like, so, this is why he's fallen. You would presume that someone like Steve Harper, he seems to be the kind of player that's going to go into coaching when he finished. So, he's, they've got a ready made goalkeeper coach there as well. I think it's, I think it's a good move for Sunderland. That's uh, Steve Harper's move for Sunderland to put the right. Yeah, um, and my other one for Bolland's old friends corner is uh, friends now. Yeah, old players. Um, Kevin Nolan taking over as Lane Orient manager. I think it's a, I think it's a really good move by them. I think I'd be interested to know whether you think this is a guy who could potentially manage Newcastle one day. <laughs> Probably can't really worse than fucking McLaren. Breaking news. Um, it's not going to be breaking for anyone that listens to podcasts, but apparently we've agreed to FIFA Townsend. Actual breaking news are like on Sky. Mm-hmm. On Sky, via, via Tosspad. So yeah. she get right on my piece on Tovan for next week then. 
Sorry, about um, I agree with you about Noel. I think he, he's another one that's going to that you would presume is going to make a step from. Leave right there. Sources are hashtag NUFC say nothing agreed yet. Oh well. Just leave right doesn't know now. He's in there twisting the knife. Um, I think Noel will make a good a good manager in time, and for someone like Leighton to take a gamble on a young young English lad who and everyone loves to play a manager as well. Yeah, it's good. It's good part of the good part of player managers. Um, Good on him, I hope he does well. I know you two don't like him at all, but well, me yeah. and Don't, 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 don't like him. Dogger told me he was going to have a out of me over this. <laughs> I just think, well, the listeners have heard it before, but he's only 33 now. It's more I think. But it's, it's like, like yeah. it's, it's just the fact that he was not a good player. He did a, In the championship, he, he played all right, but he just, he, just, he just wasn't a good player for Newcastle he contributed very little he, he was unfit at Newcastle he got fitter and trimmer at West Ham he's fatter, fatter than I am at Newcastle eh? yeah he, and I just thought it, I went to a lot of away games especially around that time when he was just so anonymous and so poor he was a bit like Wijnaldum but without the quality and Wijnaldum was getting better and better at home anyway whereas Nolan well, my issue wasn't with Kevin Nolan it was that Chris Hooten wasn't a big enough character in the Premier League to drop him and it cost him his job, in my opinion. So I went to Bolton away um, in 10-11. And we got beat 5-1 by Bolton. And Alan Smith and Kevin Nolan were the midfield too. And it went, now Alan Smith is shit. But Alan Smith was very clearly the defensive. Kevin yeah. Nolan. And we, I think we played Amiobi and Carroll up front. And Kevin Nolan spent as much time beyond the forwards. Even though he's been fucking central midfield. And it was it was just, it just to me, lacked a bit of professionalism from him. And he wasn't... He wasn't willing to, to to put it in. I know a lot of Newcastle fans will disagree with this and this, and I love. I, I don't blame him as much for that, but it was like <laughs> I just think he cost Chris Hooper's job. That's fuck you, is that? Come on, Dodds. I think you he's think being slightly ca- harsh. Oh. I was very impressed when Pardew got rid. Um, but all I would say is you, you've been very harsh on him there. I think he was a good character to have around in the squad. Championship season, season, good player. Season. Fine, no yeah. problem with that. But here, here, here's like, I don't without players like him and Barton. I mean, we, you can brief them for the the players. Barton was injured the whole championship season. But no, no, no. My, my point is, players like them, the professionals, like professionals, have been around the league a lot, like off the field. Yeah, were, were valuable at that team. So why you say okay, like Nolan maybe didn't deserve a spot. Barton was injured. Smith, like there, whatever, still had a big impact on that team, getting them straight back up. Yeah, and after fine. the disappointment, it gets relegated. I'm not saying I thought he was good in the championship, like I said, but he played in the championship in centre mid. Said. <laughs> well, he played in the championship in centre mid, and he wasn't good enough in the Premier League, so he got kind of moved to behind the strike. West Ham had the exact same problem. Allardyce tried to play my centre midfield, had to play behind the striker, and then he was anonymous, but popped up with important goals, but he wasn't a good enough player. Perfect example for me. Newcastle played at Blackpool, end of the championship season, beat them 4 1, should have been 10. Like, we battered them, played 4 4 2, none of midfield, Lauren Krantz and Carroll up front. Same team, like, first or second, well, second home game of the six months later, and he, he played Nolan up front because he knew Teote had just come in and Teote was just better. So he kind of he, he played him up front behind the striker, and neither him nor Carroll had a shot. That day we got beat two one and it was just a bit of weakness, but you know, he's the first game back in the Prem was six one six six nil six nil yeah. Well, I have to apologise on Dogger. It started out as friends, now it's just Dogger <laughs> setting old scores. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I hope Kevin's not listening. No, it is. Like, what we're saying about him being a good influence around the training ground around the club—that's a transferable attribute to management. You would think so. 
I think I Nolan, people didn't really appreciate the loss of Nolan until the year after we finished fifth when things weren't going well. Like, and there was nobody in that team willing to step up and yeah. Riley, I mean, that, 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 that's my know, point. Is it? So Nolan or Kabai for me? <laughs> I was happy with that. I but <laughs> Kabai wasn't pretty like having Andy Carroll still really score goals and creating <laughs> chances. The bastard. <laughs> Uh, that was part two. Oh, yeah, forgot that Andy Carroll never came. Don't think about doing that. We've got part three after this, which is Mike on the Premier League, and I have a Doggers game and a Doggers challenge. Okay, uh, part three of the show is about to kick off, and uh, traditionally, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, Doggers game is going to kick it off. So, lads, who am I? Formerly Castle United player, and I would. Will accept guesses after the first two questions I've been asked. So, who am I? I was born on the 18th of February 1983. I scored nine goals in 110 games for Newcastle. Well, now I accept answers. Between June 2011 and June 2013, I managed only nine career appearances. I have 21 England caps and one goal. Well done, Mickey. Jermaine Jenas. Got that very early. I was PFA Young Player of the Year 2002-03. I played for QPR, Vile, Spurs, and Forest. I described living in the Northeast as like being in a goldfish bowl. Mickey takes Doggers game this week. You're still keeping that tally, Mickey, of who wins the games and that. Yeah, yeah, we have been doing that every week. <laughs> Are you top? Um, no, I haven't done it once. Yeah, I know. Uh, Jenas <laughs> playing for Villa. Vile. As if he would like, as if he thought he'd be better off at Villa than he. I know he didn't directly think that, but <laughs> I didn't fuck you, Jenas, you prick. Did you just go on loan there? I don't remember. No, he, yeah, he was on loan. Got injured as well, and he had to go back. He played twice for them. That's when he played twice for Villa and someone else. He, played, he, went, he went somewhere else on loan, and then he finished his career at QBR. It was weird because he got 36 average poor games in a QBR and then just kind of retired. <laughs> but I mean, he's only what, 1983? He's only 32 now. But I, I, I don't really like him as a pundit. He's getting a lot, of, a lot of credit as a pundit. The reason he's in the mix is because he's time. still like he's just sort of retired and he's still sort of seen as, as like a professional. He's just out, out of being a professional, but he's shite. I don't get how it's transferable for people to be just become a pundit because of a footballer. You should have to be good at it. Yeah, in any other job in the world, if you're not good at it, you don't you don't get the job. But mm-hmm. pundit, seemingly, if you're good at something else a while ago, well, well, we'll get straight in. We'll be having a chat about Graham Sooners later. Uh, it's not Mike like he's even got good patter though he's like no, the most boring, boring kid he's ever. got a disgraceful voice his voice <laughs> is just terrible it's the worst worst accent in the world Nottingham sorry people from Nottingham but it is but Nottingham I don't know there was a bloke behind us at the cricket in South Africa who's from Nottingham and it just graded <laughs> he's an awful bloke for so many reasons right Doggers listeners challenge Um this is for you listeners if you want to tweet us at TF Weekly Pod and just make yourself feel good because you got it right here is my listeners challenge this week I'm talking about Newcastle United's top 10 top 10 goal scorers the ratio is 6 to 4 what is it a bit of a riddle the ratio is 6 to 4 for Newcastle's top 10 all time goal scorers what is that ratio I don't know what well you can tell me off podcast do you actually know what it is I think so well don't google it I'm not going to send you a message with it oh I send us a message yeah Fair enough. Mike, the Premier League happened this weekend, and didn't we all enjoy it? Yeah, well, no, it was, it was a cracker. I got around and watched it like today, yesterday, yesterday. It was just game after game was 
we're, we're absolute belters. But I thought I thought we'd start with Spurs, um, having just talked the highlights of the donkey about Arsenal over the last few weeks, and I think I think we can all see that that Chelsea result coming, given what we, we've discussed in recent weeks. So I think looking at Spurs and, and whether they can actually um, be considered title challengers, given how given how mental the season has been so far, I think you've got to give them give them a shout. Um, I, I don't necessarily think they'll win it, but if you look at Arsenal. One, two, and six, and if Spurs had actually beaten Leicester at home the other week rather than letting them that that last minute lose, um, uh, last minute goal for, for Leicester, Spurs would have actually been top of the league, which sounds probably even weirder than Leicester actually been in top of the moment. Um, but but just looking at it uh, uh, and what Spurs need now, I'd say Spurs fans seem to worry that, that they don't move the ball quickly enough. So if you look at the the weakness. This season. They don't lose many games, but they draw an awful lot of games. So they've got all those players in behind the Harry Kane playing up front, a lot of number tens. But they don't, they don't move it quickly enough. And at home, I think they, they, they can get into, into trouble against a team like a Watford, for example, who will just sit in, sit in deep against them, and they, they really struggle to break them down. So you're looking definitely at at least a winger and a striker for them to to, to, to really have a strong chance of. Uh, the title, but I don't think that's going to happen this season. Uh, and, and essentially, it, it's going to be down to the summer. If you look in a few years, there's a, a, a due to be moving into this new stadium, 61,000 seater. Um, there's the 12 highest earning club in the world, and now it's down to Levy whether he decides to, to, to invest that and, and really go for it with Pochettino this summer. They've got the chance, I think they've set a, a strong foundation this year and improve again next season, but if they don't invest, you can see the the likes of Big Dave, the likes of Dele Alli just being picked up and Spurs will go back to, 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 to the same old sort of, you know, one one good season every now and then and, and then go back to six, seven plays kind of mediocre Europa League sort of stuff. So they've got a chance, I don't think they're they're, they're gonna they're gonna make a strong title for this season, but I think looking at the future, if they invest probably this summer in, in the next couple of years leading up to that new stage they've got a really good chance of, of, of kicking on but whether Levy decides to keep the money for, for the new ground um, or, or, or decides to smash it we'll, we'll probably decide on that but I think uh, uh, I think they'll have to be content with, with Champions League which I think they'll get this year but I think that'll be about it It's an interesting point Mike uh, Pochettino has come out in the press this week and said he's open to Bale coming back to Tottenham Is he? Not, not, not pursuing him not not that bothered, just open to it. However, if, yeah, if, if they no, sign him... Yeah, if they sign him, they're right at the top. There's no way he's going back to Tottenham. I'll tell you that now. I don't know, like, if you... They can't afford to pay him 300 grand a week, which is what he, money would be, would be paying him. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about that. <laughs> but you put the, the him, Dele Alli and Harry Kane in the same team in England would be mint. I could see why they would want to play together as well. Yeah. Mike, I did some uh, research for you on this because everyone's talked about this being the best Premier League season in a long time and the, the stats back that up. So, traditionally, to win the league, win the Premier League, you need 86 points. Some have got more, some have got less, but that's the traditional figure. It's 86 points will win you the Premier League. There's only one team who've achieved that total and not won it. That is, lads. Doggers game part two. Newcastle. Incorrect. No. Um, Man United Incorrect yeah, uh, Liverpool Liverpool on the Rogers Highest ever total I think they Don't achieved 88 on Was it not 86 and 88 I think Man United won it It was, it was 88 wasn't it It was uh, Man City who won it um, 
anyway, so that's that's the points that you need. So normally the team the teams that you know require get eighty eight points. I've been looking the past few seasons to compare it to where we are now. Last season was pretty low. Chelsea had fifty three points at this stage of the season and had the league racked up, so it was a bad league last year. Before that, Arsenal hilariously had fifty four. Before falling away, the two seasons before that, Man United and Man City both had 57, uh, which is actually out the average 57 at this stage of the season. Would you know would, the team that's won the league has had an average after 23 games 57? Leicester are currently on 47, so at 10 points or three defeats away from that at the moment. Now Spurs have 42 points at the moment, five behind Leicester. And no team, obviously this won't come as a surprise, no team has ever had less than 45 points at this stage of the season. They finished four points by Man U. Liverpool. No, they didn't. Man City won the league. Club ended the campaign and set place four points behind Man U. It's just wrong. I don't know why you're looking at that. City won the league. Though. City won the league, mate. Man U had, Man U had Moyes. <laughs> I don't know what this is. <laughs> Thanks for that, Ben. Uh, as, I, as I was saying so basically what I'm saying is Spurs would have to create league history uh, some, some way to, to win the league the stats don't point towards that um, but it's then it's different it, it's, you can't really say that though because if they've got 42 points relative to 47 as opposed to yeah. less than 45 relative I was to just you just interrupted me I was just about to say but considering the way it's gone and compared to what they're up against there's probably going to be history made this year in terms of a low points total set anyway um, to win the league. So it's it's I think the lowest total to win the league was possibly Man U in ninety six ninety seven with sixty nine points or seventy two points. So or seven sorry seventy six. So that the chances are actually this everything this year is indicating to a record low points total to win the league, which again goes in Spurs' favour. So anything could happen, but you know, 42 points after this page, there's just too many draws basically, isn't there? So far, they have to find a way to turn those draws into win, and Saturday's game against Palace, which looked like a draw until Dele Alli's goal, is probably a good start for them. I don't know if you agree, Mike. Got the wrong side. Yeah, I think so. If you look at it again, Palace did the good work, well, we got the couple of goals, didn't they? It could have quite easily been a draw from the game, but if you look at February, um, they've got Norwich, Watford, And I believe now you'd like to move on to can Chelsea make the Champions League? Yeah, well, I think this is Mr. Souness's uh, rather hyped up comment for the weekend, wasn't it? Um, if you look at if you look at the bare facts, they're 14 points in front of the goals behind Spurs, who are, who are fourth at the moment. We've already talked about that, uh, the, the, the points total of, of the season has gone by. But for Chelsea to make that up, so it's not just a point, but the goal, they've got a minus two goal difference. <laughs> so regardless of the form that they've shown for the rest of the season to, to suddenly go on a ludicrous run make that point different up and then rely on so many other teams to, to, to drop points it, it's just 
it's a it's a mad it's a mad statement. Um, I think, and you look at Hiddink as well. I think the record since he's arrived, they've drawn four out of seven. So it's not entire, not really suggesting a, a complete sea change in the way in the way Chelsea played, given given the, the trials on the Mourinho at the beginning of the season. So I really don't know where he's pulled it from. I think it's a load of old arse, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh I can't see Hiddink as, as being the man to turn around. Again, if you look at Hiddink's last few jobs since he left Chelsea, Russia, he, he left the Russian job because he failed to qualify for World Cup 2010. So he went on to Turkey, he left the Turkey job after failing to qualify Euro 2012, <laughs> and then he left the Holland job after failing to qualify for Euro 2016. So he's not exactly covered himself in glory. And I think that Chelsea team, if you look at the time he came in before, it came in part way through the season as a salvage operation. You had the likes of Drogba, Terry, Lampard, Czech in their pop, who could just pick it up and run the show and rub with it. Now he doesn't have that. He has a, a, an ageing Terry. He can still have an impact, but but limited. And he doesn't have those strong characters throughout the team that, that, that could just get hold of a dressing room and just say, right, this is how we win games, and, and, and get it, go on a consistent run of form. He doesn't have that to fall back on. And if you look at his recent record, managerially since he's Chelsea, he doesn't have the managerial skills to, to, to turn it around either. So that, alongside the massive points difference and goal difference, I, I, I think it's a it's a balmy comment from Sunis. And I wouldn't be surprised if he looked back at it and, and was uh, and pretty embarrassed when, it, when, it, when he saw that recording. A couple of things I want to come on to on this. When they asked Hiddink, he almost cracked up. It was such a ludicrous suggestion. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, win every game. So I've looked into this and... Traditionally, again, the average to make the top four since fourth place achieved Champions League qualification, the average points that you need uh, is 73. Guess how many of Chelsea's remaining 15 games they'd have to win to make that points total? All 15. All 15. <laughs> so soon as it's back in them, on average, to win every single game. But you know what? It's like we said, it's a, it's a reduced, well, not quality, but it's a higher excitement, but a reduced points total Premier League season. So let's say Chelsea have to match... Match the lowest total ever made, which was by Arsenal, funny enough, in 2006 to finish fourth on 67 points. Ben, you've just said they'd have to win 13 out of their 15 games. This is a team who failed to beat Watford, Manu, West Brom, and Everton in their past five games. Didn't lose any of them. Couldn't beat us. Yeah. Um, it's You can forget about. Part of like this, and it's it's just it's just a it's just a nonsensical, ridiculous shout from a ridiculous man who shouldn't be on television. He constant consistently talks shite, and you get the feeling from Sunes that he needs to say stuff to stay relevant because no one remembers what he did in the football pitch. It was a different generation. I'm sure it was he was a great player in his time, but it's not relevant to today's football. You know, gives the, a fuck. The only reason he's selected really is because of his management career, which was recent and in the Premier League, and he was an absolute failure. Everywhere he wants, getting sacked from every single job apart from Blackburn, where he was on the fucking um, brink of the the sack. I just want to say this: the last two seasons, uh, the teams that have finished fourth have been Liverpool and Man United. Um, who you know, Liverpool had forty six points at this stage. They obviously went on to get eighty four, um, finishing second, and Man United had forty two points at, oh, at this stage. <laughs> So Spurs are now on 42 points, which is consistent with what teams at this stage have for finishing fourth. So it's not like it's not like the teams above Chelsea are showing any kind of form, which which would suggest even if Sunes's mental prediction about 
Chelsea winning every single match comes to fruition, you're still relying on teams that we're talking about who you know who are five points off the top of the league falling down. You're just an absolute idiot, Graham Sooners, and you you shouldn't be allowed on telly to say stuff like that. You shouldn't. <laughs> Fine, uh, finish this all off then, Mike. Uh, West Brom and Tony Pulis, you'd like to get, in, get involved in. Yeah, well, I just I just thought about it. I was watching match today the other day, and I heard Pulis's um, post-match conference really after a nil-nil draw at home to Villa. And from the highlights, it looked like Villa actually had should, should have definitely had a penalty, blatant penalty. Um, West Brom sure. did really seem to create a lot, and Pulis uh, was playing it off as a, as a good result. Generally, generally, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a busy schedule, and, and, and it's an extra coin. It's a, it's, a, it's a good result against Villa at home. A nil-nil draw when you really don't seem to threaten to beat. One of, as we discussed, one of the worst teams to embrace the Premier League. Yeah, you'd be worried if you're a West Brom fan and, and hearing that. And it, it, it just strikes me that they, that they might be in danger of succumbing to the, the Charlton effect, as you call it. So a team just getting comfortable, just just finishing 14, 15 year in year out, and never really, you know, you, you're always confident with the fullest and the style of play. They'll be able to dig themselves out. The worst teams in the league, them, they won't go down. But they're just sitting in that in that sort of zone, and, and after a couple of seasons, you can you can see fans getting frustrated with that. And certainly with the approach of West Brom took at home to Villa, and how Villa seem to accept it and be happy with the final result with the draw, you can see fans getting on his back pretty quickly. And you worry if you're a West Brom fan, it, it, you can easily see it them pushing for a, a, a new style of football, get rid of Villa, all the pressure. They try and go for a for a new style, a new free flowing style, and they get relegated. And we've seen it have weeks with Charlton, um, the, the likes of teams like that, when they've kind of reached as far as they can go consistently, um, sort of the club with the money in the game at the moment. There's realistically not much further they can go um, in, in the football world apart from a season here and there. And the fans are going to get frustrated, and I think I just think I just think the way Pulis is approaching it, that that could come sooner rather than later. Certainly, celebrating results like that at the weekend, I don't think it's too far away from the end of the season where, where they might have nothing to play for. Fans are going to start getting restless, and they're, they're not going to want to see the same thing year in year out. And they want to change, regardless of whether that's a risk of relegation. I, I just think he's played a bit of a dangerous game with the way he's approaching the job. I think. Yeah, I know Mickey wants to come on you this, but um, I've just been looking at some stats here. Their their attendances are really suffering. Uh, I don't know if this is anything that you guys have picked up on. I simply notice when I watch on telly and I see how many empty seats. Their average attendance so far this season is twenty three thousand, which is the second lowest and the third lowest in the league, behind two clubs that have just got smaller grounds than them: Watford and West Brom, uh, Watford and Bournemouth. Um, well may not sound too bad for you but West Brom's capacity is actually 31,000 West Brom's average attendance the past couple of seasons has been up at the 27,000-28,000 mark so they've lost about 5,000 fans this season when in theory they've been more comfortable than they have in previous seasons and you've got to put that down to the purest factor and besides Vial and the Magams which is hilarious they currently have the lowest percentage of filled seats so the third bottom in terms of the most empty seats in the ground when if you look at Sunderland and Villa, um, obviously Vial A, it's in the worst place in the world. B, you can't really blame people for not turning up at such a badly run club. Sunderland fans, hello Sunderland, again, Sunderland Football Club, listen, turn off now. <laughs> like for You'll never meet a, a bigger fan base than Sunderland for just consistently patting themselves on the back. <laughs> 
constantly sold the fans, tremendous attendance that the ground was only you know, 14% empty, there was only 10,000 empty seats today, absolutely brilliant, but West Brom look to me <laughs> from those stats as if they're, they're losing fans rapidly and people are voting with their feet uh, because of the Pulis effect maybe. Well it is what it is I mean everyone everyone in football knows what Tony Pulis is, he saved West Brom from, from going down and steadied the boat, but that's that's the best you're ever going to get with him. He's never going to. He's never going to have you on your feet, really, is he? Um, I guess it just depends what the West Brom fans want. I think Mike's absolutely spot on with it. There's not many sets of fans around that would just be happy with a bottom half of mid-table team not playing exciting football year after year after year after year. Eventually, you're going to want something better, even if. Well, it's, like, like I said, the fans are walking out. Even if it's at the risk of. Of going down, so I think that's exactly. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think they'll change the manager possibly at the end of the season, if not shortly after. Assuming the stay up this year, that is, because they're definitely in the relegation fight. So it's, it's a difficult conundrum, isn't it? I think for a lot of clubs on that level, because realistically, the size of the club and the money in the top of the game at the moment, that, that it's not as if they can come up like 20, 30 years ago, and, and you can have a chance in a couple of seasons of, of, of the title top four. They've got to put limits on their expectations, so that there's going to come a time when you know you, you do just get stuck in, in, in that rut, and this is about as, as high as they can go consistently. And, 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 and something will have to give. And if, yeah, if you're not even seeing attractive football when you're just you know season after season finishing pretty much the same position and, and going nowhere, then then I think that'll be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah, um, be interesting to see what Stoke's attendances were just before. Um, he left Stoke because I imagine Stoke fans probably got a bit bored of it. Well, but actually, do you know that Stoke at this stage of the season have currently scored two goals less than the Hearts and Tony Pulis is finally a... No way! They just don't score goals. They kind of know what attributes to Stoke. To Stoke alone, eh? don't score goals. Can't score. Pulis is just a, a sort of trade-off you make, isn't it? It's guaranteed Premier League survival, which at the end of the day is probably making the clubs more money than... 5,000 people are not good yeah the they, they don't have a striker like Arnautovic isn't, is playing up front isn't an out and out striker Jozalou started last yeah, yeah, yeah Hossley, Walters as well Walters but none of them Walters you would say they're not they're not like goal scorers are they we've been linked with Deef today have you seen that yeah. Yeah. why is he not been playing this though because he's rubbish just yeah they've been playing Bojan haven't they yeah Bojan and Arnautovic and um, Shakiri. I get the West Brom fans point of view on it, by the way. If I, if I was them and, I, and West Brom was my team, I wouldn't want to see Tony Pulis 15 year on year on year. I'd much rather have, I don't know, like an, an Eddie Howe or someone like that, someone that comes in and takes you up and then the next season you try your best, you, you, you play attacking football in the Premier League and even if you get battered every week and you go back down, at least it's better, it's better than finishing 15. It's like Allardyce, isn't it, with West Ham? Everyone would be careful what you wish for. The West fans like, nah, we'll, we'll give it a go, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and they turned that all right. Because everyone's yeah. like, you don't want to lose Allardyce because they'll get relegated. Well, A, no we're not. And B, he's doing shite with Sunderland. Um, <laughs> and Stoke, by the way, Bollins are about 1,500 up average attendance-wise. Just so you know. Since from Pulis to this season. I think one thing to remember about West Brom as well is, is if you look at their, pl- their squad player for player I think they've got possibly the worst if not definitely one of the worst squads in the Premier League I think so yeah, yeah. I think player for player and you look at their West back Brom. Like, West, Brom. West Brom sorry uh, their back four is actually not 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 brilliant like the midfield's pretty shocking I mean Craig Gardner's still getting a game there every so often yeah they're, they're not they're just 
Strange it's a lot of Premier League experience there. Yeah, but yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's established like players that have been in the league a lot of years, like Brunt, Gardner, like Austin. Darren, Darren Fletcher. Fletcher. It's the opposite of what exactly. Gaslad, isn't it? Yeah. It's the, it's the direct opposite of what it's Gaslad. that didn't have Pulis there, though. That's a, that's a squad that's capable of dropping down the league oh, pretty, right. pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're going to call it a day there. Thanks, lads, for your time and contributions. Uh, Remember, follow us on Twitter at TF Weekly Pod. You can also follow us individually. I'll post everyone's individual Twitter handles online tonight. And we will be back on Friday with a radio show with no game. To pre- well, we'll preview everything, I suppose. Um, yeah. On quiz? Quiz. Not, I like a quiz, but it's not been long since the last one. <laughs> if you want to do a quiz, we'll have to get in touch with the people that do the quiz and see if they're free. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Too to do quiz, all right. <laughs> it just cheapens it. <laughs> on that bombshell still, I was going to say it was still recording yeah it's still recording thanks we'll be back on Friday uh, thanks, thanks for listening cheers Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.